are humans different than goldfish? I know the answer to this question. And the reason I know this is because as a kid, I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Okay, others out here? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and one day, Mr. Rogers was feeding his goldfish, and I remember this distinctly, because this was, this was mind-blowing, this was life-changing. He's feeding his goldfish, and Mr. Rogers said uh, to all the kids watching, fish can do things that people can't do, and people can do things that fish can't do. Boom! <laughs> he, he's right! Now, let me say this again, you know, fish can do things that people can't do, but people can do things that, that fish can't do. And I realized, you know, all this time I've been trying to teach my fish how to fold laundry. <laughs> and that's just foolishness, because it's, it's just not going to happen. So Mr. Rogers helped me out with this. It also made me realize that I had to, uh, a party game I've been playing with my friends, uh, stick your head in a bucket of water and try to breathe through your neck. Uh, it was just a bad idea, because there are things that fish can do, but people can't do, and that's, that's good. We're, we're different from each other. There's not everyone, uh, not everyone out there, though, understands that there is a categorical difference uh, between fish and human beings, that there is a different category between the animal world and, and human beings. Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, PETA, okay, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Now, we are for ethical treatment of animals. You know, cruelty to animals is a bad thing. But if you know much about PETA, they tend to sometimes take things a bit far. And so, <laughs> looking into some of the things that they have proposed, and in some areas they've gotten uh, cities to, to ban the sale of certain types of pets, or all pets. They would like to see that eliminated. Uh, in fact, you shouldn't call yourself an owner of a pet. You know, that sounds like you're a, you know, um, you know, a master-owner relationship. We're guardians of our pets, uh, if we do have them. But I think even this idea of pets, they're against. But one article, recent article I found uh, on PETA's website was uh, PETA calling, it was directed to the Meyer stores. And the, article, the headline of this article was, is, quote, Meyer, stop selling live fish as pets now. With, with pets in quotation marks and now in all capitals and exclamation point. So I want to read you a little bit. This is, I'm not making this up. This is uh, from PETA. And I want you to listen for the worldview that is behind this. Their worldview as they think of what these animals are. And I'm going to do my best to do this without uh, laughing. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't able to just a little bit ago as I was practicing. Okay, <clears throat> quote, many people who buy fish as pets, it's in quotes, like pets, are unaware of and unprepared to give them what they need to survive and thrive. And it goes into what they think uh, they need. And then it continues, the lack of these necessities often leads to physical and psychological suffering and death. So the psychological suffering of, of goldfish, that's the concern here. Time and again, people disregard or neglect the fish when their novelty wears off. Fish are sensitive and intelligent individuals. Individuals. And experts have determined unequivocally that aquatic animals, including fish, are highly complex 
and can feel pain. Supporting the cruel and deadly pet trade supports speciesism. The belief that all other animal species are inferior to our own, and we need your help to end it. So you hear that there? There's concern about these, these individuals and their psychological suffering. I may be watching a little too much Finding Nemo here, reading too much into like what your fish is thinking. Uh, but this underlying belief of this speciesism, the belief, how, how daring one, that the humans are in some ways better than goldfish. Notice their words again, uh, the belief that all, all other animal species are inferior to our own. And so we need to realize that that speciesism, it's a bad thing, it's as bad as uh, racism or any of these other things to think that our species is somehow superior. Another article that I found from PETA on this topic said this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is some great advice coming up, okay? When you purchase fish or support businesses or fairs that give fish away in contests or promotions, it encourages the pet trade to continue kidnapping fish, <laughs> kidnapping fish from their ocean homes and breeding them on crowded, filthy farms. If you, if you enjoy watching fish, consider downloading one of the many colorful and realistic fish-themed computer screensavers <laughs> available on the web. <laughs> so, if you enjoy those fish, hey, you can just watch a screensaver. That's, that's their great advice. My point of this isn't uh, just to, to make fun of some of these people with their kind of pretty radical views, but to see there is a worldview that is behind this. It's a whole view of what animals are, what people are, and that there is no real distinction between them. In fact, there is a quote by Ingrid Newkirk, who is the founder of PETA, that I think really shines a light on this really well. She said this, Animal liberationists do not separate out the human animal, so there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. And it goes on. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. It's all the same thing. So these are... They're all mammals. And sees no, nothing special that differentiates human beings and puts us in a different category from these other animals. And if you think there is, it's speciesism. Well, we're going to take a look at that today, and we're going to see biblically, is this true? I think common sense, we recognize there is something very unique and very special about human beings, that we are in a different category, and not just because we can do things that fish can do and fish can do things that we can't do. That, that is true. But there is something that puts us in a different category and that it, we're created by God in a different category from the rest of the animal world. So why is a human being worth more than an animal? If you want to call this speciesism, okay, but... I'm going to argue that we are distinct and that human beings are of value more than animals. But what is it? Is it because of the physical elements that make up our bodies? Is it because we are intelligent? Is it because of what we can do, our contributions to society? Is it because of our potential contributions to society at least? Or is it something else? 
And we're going to see in this message that biblically the ultimate answer, the core answer, is because every human being is created in the image of God. And this separates and differentiates human beings from the animal world. So let's read in Scripture Genesis chapter 1 once again. And this is right after, this is on day 6, after the creation of the animals. So that's done. He created the animals. God saw that it was good. And then, still on day 6, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Three parts of today's message. We're going to first talk about uh, what are some observations we make from uh, Genesis and then some other parts of Scripture that help inform us as far as what this could mean as far as the image of God. Uh, The second part, we'll try to do our best to kind of answer that question, what exactly is the image of God? And that is a tough question to uh, really answer. The thing that we know for sure is human beings are created in the image of God, and theologians uh, have done their best to try and grapple with this and, and what exactly that means. And then at the end, we'll look at what are some of the implications, some of the practical things where this should change our worldview and how we live if we recognize that human beings are created in the image of God. So, first thing we'll point out is that God created human beings in his image and likeness. So we understand that. That is what Scripture states. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then God did this and created human beings this way. A few things that we can point out. One, the triune God said, let us make man in our image. We know from the Bible as a whole that God is a trinity. There is one God who exists in three persons, and that is from the beginning. We see it in the Old Testament hinted at. Sometimes it's there in a, a, a foggy way, and sometimes you can start to see glimpses of the Trinity. And when you get to the New Testament, what was there the whole time is made clear to us. And therefore, I think when we look back at this passage, we see, okay, the best explanation for this, when God says, uh, let us, that's plural, make man in our image, is that it's probably referring to the, the triune God, the three-in-one God creating humanity. Uh, otherwise, you have to have other possibilities. Uh, some suggest that, well, this is the, the royal we. Like when the Queen of England says, we are not amused. And she's speaking of herself, but uh, speaking of herself in plural. Uh, so that's a option that's given. Or some say, well, maybe it's the, the angels that are being referred to here. I think that's pulling the angels into us a bit much, and we don't know for sure. Are, there's debate. Are they in the image of God as well? Are they not? They're not really discussed here in specific in Genesis 1. And I think the most natural thing for us looking back is that this is uh, the three-personal God uh, creating humanity in his image. And so we recognize that God is a, a personal being, 
and that God, even when it was just God and there was nothing else, existed in relationship because there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's relationship with, uh, this, between the three persons of the Trinity. So I think we should not be surprised if we realized that being created in his image has something to do with being personal, uh, being able to have relationship uh, with others besides just ourselves. But there's one thing that we see here, starting off, it's the triune God that said this, let us make man in our image. We'll talk more about this later, but uh, plants and animals are not created in the image of God, you know, as well as the rocks and the ocean and, and all these other things. We get to this point in the creation narrative at the, the climax here of day six, and this is the first point where God says, hey, let's try something new here. Let's make man, mankind, in our image. So the implication from this is that the animals, and all that were created before this, they're not created in the image of God. There is a difference with humanity. The terms image and likeness, I believe, are used interchangeably in Scripture. Uh, There have been some that have tried to make uh, distinctions between the two, saying image means this, likeness means this, And sometimes saying that, well, one of them has been retained, one of them has been lost. But I think the most natural view of this is that the two terms are basically synonyms for each other and basically mean the same thing. And uh, we see this as well when we um, look in Genesis uh, chapter 5. We see these same terms used but kind of moved around. In Genesis 5, this is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So their focus is on likeness. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. And when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So again, I think both of these terms are being used. They overlap with each other, but basically mean the same thing. The term for image is the Hebrew word selim. It includes 17 times in the Old Testament, often with a reference to an actual physical image, uh, something that had been created, a a statue or something. There's a different word that's often used for idols, uh, but sometimes this is used for things that are made. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story where the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it uh, to their home and set it up there, and they had the temple of Dagon and all this, and God strikes them with some plagues. And so there's there's rats, there seems to be, they're struck them with different sores, and they decide, we got to send the Ark of the Covenant, you know, think Indiana Jones, Uh, we got to send this back, because this is causing trouble for us. And they say, well, we can't just send it back empty-handed, you know, we should send a tribute to this God that is punishing us. And so they decided, as they sent this back and put it on a cart, to uh, make... uh, images, uh, five golden mice, because they're being plagued by these mice. And in most of your translations, it says five golden tumors, because they had been struck with these different tumors that they had. And so you have, the word there is the same for images, that they created these golden mice and these golden tumors, and they, they sent them back. If you're reading the King James Version, uh, instead of tumor, it refers to them as golden hemorrhoids. Uh, which, you know, I am waiting for the day when Steven Spielberg gives me a call, okay? And says, Nate, 
I'm making another Indiana Jones movie, and I need an idea from you. You know, he's gone after the Ark of the Covenant. He's gone after the Holy Grail. What should Indiana Jones go after next? I'm going to say, I have an awesome idea. Indiana Jones and the quest for the golden hemorrhoids. <laughs> Be a blockbuster. So that's the word image and what that uh, means. The word for likeness is demuth, and that's used in Hebrew when something is compared to something else. Something is like something else, literally a likeness. So it means it's not an exact copy. It's kind of a, a facsimile. And I think these terms used together help us realize that we're the image of God. We're like God. We're not exactly God. There are differences, and it's good for us to realize that. There's both likeness, but you and I, you are not God. Good to keep that clear as well. But basically, I think, used interchangeably. I think one of the big points we need to draw out of this passage is that men and women are both created fully in the image of God. We're going to talk about this more next week. Uh, what it means that God created humanity, male and female, and created both of us in his image as male and female. But that's a big deal. It is not just that men have the image of God and uh, women don't. Um, this really shows there is a, a base equality between men and women because we both carry the image of God, and I believe in full as well. The image of God... And this is where we need to, I want to look a little bit ahead in Scripture because uh, Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture that helps us understand Scripture. And as we get into the biblical storyline, we're going to see that the image of God is passed down to all of Adam's offspring and was damaged but not lost after the fall when humanity fell into sin. I think this is important to realize each aspect of that, that it wasn't just, okay, Adam and then, well, Eve, who was brought forth out of Adam and they're connected, that they're the image of God. Uh, but then after that, nobody else is. Uh, when it talks about Adam bearing a son in his likeness, I think the inference there is he passed it on to his son and that his children, therefore, also being in Adam's likeness and he is the likeness of uh, God, that they are also created in the image of God. And what confirms that to us as well is that there's other places in the Old and New Testament where it refers to people being created in the image of God. And later in this message, we'll look at some of these, uh, Genesis 9-6 and also James 3-9, that indicate to us that we are still in the image of God today. And people, your neighbor, everyone is still created in the image of God but something has happened to that image of God. That in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see Adam and Eve, they rebel against God, and that's what's referred to as the fall. And sin changes things. It changes this world. And therefore, uh, we do not exist now in the original state that we were created in. We're damaged. I think it's right to say that the image of God has been, has been tarnished. It's like if you had this image of the king, it's now, it's now covered, with, uh, it's covered with mud, it's covered with filth. It's, it doesn't show the king in the way that it did, but the image is still there, but something has happened to it. So we need to realize that as well, because that also means that not everything about you and I reflects the image of God. 
We can't just say, well, this is an aspect, this is who I am, and that's for, therefore this is the image of God. I'm a mean, angry person, and uh, I'm you know, a jerk, and that must be reflect the image of God. No, there's things in our lives that are sin, that are the corruptions of what were the original. And that Christ, if you come to Christ as Savior, he is going to be in this process of refurbishing you, transforming you into the ultimate, the image of Christ, and getting away from those things that are the, the, the sinful, uh, the tarnished, the rust in our lives. So not everything about us reflects God's image, and definitely the sin in our lives does not. But we are still in the image of God. And a final thing, just to clarify this, is the image of God does not mean that we visually look like God. It's not about our physical appearance. It's not about having a certain number of fingers and arms and legs and different proportions, because uh, God doesn't have a physical body. God is spirit. He can appear any way that he would like to, and I think there's specific reasons why he did create us with the bodies that we do have, and they're important. It's not just the spiritual that is the image of God, but it doesn't mean that we visually, physically look like God. Again, he doesn't have a body for photons to bounce off of to make a picture unless he chooses to, uh, but it must mean something else then. When we look to what this means, we have to think of other things as far as God rather than just you know, physical appearance and what you would see in a, in a physical portrait. So as we continue to think about this, I'm going to give you this as a kind of working definition, trying to put together different thoughts that uh, different people that have reflected on this for thousands of years have put together. And really, there are three kind of main categories of opinions that people have as far as what the image of God means. Uh, Some have more of a view that's called the substantial view, that it's about this is who you are, and maybe that has to do with our our rationality or or, um, righteousness. Some emphasize the relational aspect and that it's about being able to relate to one another. And a third main view is kind of the functional aspect, that it's about what we're called to do. Why did God put humanity on this earth? And therefore, the image of God is about what we do. And I think there's elements of truth in each of those. So a definition that I'll propose to you is this. Being created in the image of God means that humans resemble God enough to relate to him and to represent him in this world. And I'm trying to put together some of these insights from these different views and measuring it from Scripture and what do we actually see in Scripture. And I think the fact that it uses the term likeness, it uses the term you know, image, uh, has to do with looking like God in a sense, not physically looking like him, but we resemble him in certain ways. That human beings are like him enough in certain ways But I think we also have to think of what is it, why are we like him in these ways? And I think it does have to do with what he has called us to do, his purpose in putting us here on this earth. And ultimately, that is to glorify him. And we glorify him by finding our joy and treasuring him and knowing him, loving him. And so we have to be equipped enough that we can relate to him. We can appreciate God for who he is. And as we keep reading in the book of Genesis, 
He creates Adam and Eve. He tells them to have children, to be fruitful and multiply. He tells them to have dominion over this world. And so he has put them in this world, kind of has his, his vice regents. He is uh, commissioning them to, uh, to, to reign over this world, to have dominion over it, to be good stewards of God's world that he has put us into, to develop it, to keep this on with this work of developing uh, society and making things better, kind of reigning on his behalf in this world. So I think looking through all of these things together helps us have an idea about what exactly it means. And again, if you walk away from this message saying, I still don't understand exactly what is the image of God, I think that's okay. Again, it's one of these things that's debated. The ultimate thing we need to realize is that you are created in the image of God and that other people, the people that you like, are created in the image of God. The people that you don't like are created in the image of God. And that needs to change how we view each other. I think a valuable point as well is that humans don't just have the image of God. Humans are the image of God. And humans do image God. So think of it that way. It's not just that we have the image of God like it's some kind of badge that we wear. And look, I got the image of God. Look, it's right here. This is the image of God. And it's passed down and I got it. But that we actually, we are the image of God. And I think in our, our being all together, God has created us in a way that we represent, we reflect him in this world. And we're like him and that we're called and equipped to do what he has called us to do. And therefore, yeah, we don't just have the image of God, we are the image. And to use image as a verb, we do image God. We reflect him. We show what God is like. Not exactly, but in many ways, that this is what God is like. Here's a quote from theologian Herman Bavink. He writes, Man does not simply bear the image of God, he is the image of God. From the doctrine that man has been created in the image of God flows the clear implication that the image extends to man in his entirety. Nothing in man is excluded from the image of God. All creatures reveal traces of God, but only man is, is the image of God. And he is that image totally in soul and in body, in all faculties and powers, in all conditions and relationships. Man is the image of God because, and insofar as he is true man, and he is man, true and real man, because and insofar as he is the image of God. So part of what he's getting across is that it's not just like one part of us. There's a lot of things, I think, that go into it that we image of God. And so, uh, and again, it's not just the, the spiritual part of us, but even the physical bodies that God put us in and declared it to be good are designed in such a way that we can uh, image God in this world that he put us into. Again, it doesn't mean that our sin is part of the image of God. That is the, the tarnish upon it. Uh, but that through and through, otherwise, as originally created, we were created as the image and to image God. So we think a little bit more. I think you can talk about the image of God both in as far as what humans are and also as far as what humans do, what we're called to do. So we think about this, and there could be more than these things, but these are things that personally I think are included in this idea of the image of God. 
thinking of what humans are, believe that this includes a capacity for rationality, a capacity for responsibility, and a capacity for righteousness. So I think there is something about our, our structure, our, our substance that God created that is necessary for us to be this image of God and to do what he called us to do. So some theologians identified the image of God with rationality. I think it's part of it. I think it's something that a capacity for rationality is needed. So I think a, just a rock that doesn't think, that is never going to think, I think doesn't image God in the way that rational creatures do. We can think, uh, we're intelligent, we can reflect on ourselves, we, can, we are self-aware, and I think this is one of just these requirements. Uh, we are created in that way so we can do this job of being the image of God. I want you to notice something. I think we need to think of this, we need to think carefully. I think it is not just the rationality, but the capacity for being rational. And if there's any philosophers here that are, uh, want to be really specific about this, this would technically be the second order capacity, the capacity to have the capacity. Let me explain what this means. When you are sleeping, okay, you are not necessarily uh, in your full state of mind. Okay, you're not really self-aware. Uh, my wife was trying to tell me something this morning, and I think I was trying to reply. I think it was the cat was bothering her because wanted food and woke up in the middle of the night, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, <clears throat> but is it true if you are sleeping, or let's say you're in a coma, are you no longer the image of God when you are not in your rational state of mind? Say, so, no, we're still in the image of God no matter what. If you have a young baby that is not developed, uh, it's thinking capacities yet. Does that mean that baby is not the image of God or is only what, 10% of the image of God? And that's why we realize it's, uh, humans are desired to, to have this capacity or to, for, to one day have this. This is part of the, the function, but it doesn't mean that that capacity has to be expressed at any specific time to be the image of God. So even when you're not expressing, living out that being rational, uh, that doesn't mean that you're not in the image of God. This also means if there comes a point in time, let's say there's an accident, there's something that happens, and you are not able to have those capacities, you don't lose the image of God. This also means that a baby in the womb, or a baby that is uh, just starting out life and is only a few cells along, I believe is still created in the image of God, even though that capacity is not expressed. And you say, well, does it have to be expressed sometime? What if it's a point where uh, somebody is born or something happens and this person will never achieve rationality? Well, you still are created in the image of God. It's not about this being expressed. And I, I think we need to remember, too, that uh, there's more to life than this life here and now. And so that even some that never will uh, have cognitive function in this life either because their life was ended too soon or there was some sort of developmental issue, there is a life after this life where they can see and glorify God. And so these are things that we need to think about. But if they weren't created in the image of God, there wouldn't be that time in the future. So I think rationality, I think, is we're created rational because we are created in the image of God. I think responsibility is a part of that. 
you know, we're not just, um, you know, dominoes that are part of a whole process. Uh, we make decisions. We're held accountable for our decisions. We do things because we choose to do them. Now, I still believe in God's sovereignty. I believe he is sovereign over all things. I'm not saying some type of uh, free will that makes us absolutely independent from God, but we make choices, and we're held responsible for our choices. And I think that's probably part of uh, being created in the image of God as well, or at least a result of being created in the image of God. Other theologians talk about righteousness. A lot of the reformers pointed to this uh, as part of being created in the image of God. If we're going to, I think there's something to it, because if part of being created in the image of God is so that we can have a relationship with him, we need to be aware and we need to have the ability to be uh, righteous so that we can have a connection with him. If we had no ability for that, I think we wouldn't be able to have that relationship with God. Of course, this is one of those things that was highly damaged, wiped out by sin. We don't have the righteousness that Adam and Eve had when they were created innocent and upstanding. And this is why Jesus had to come to this earth to undo this damage and that he lived the life that we ought to have lived. He obeyed God fully. He gives us his gift of righteousness. And when you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit starts to work in you to make you more and more righteous in different ways of your your life every single day. Uh, And part of that is so that you can have this relationship with God uh, that we have now as we come before him and worship him. You know, if you were still just, you know, a bitter rebel against God, you probably didn't come here and enjoy worshiping him this morning. If you're a bitter rebel against God, you probably are not enjoying hearing what his word has to say. But the more God changes us and increases his righteousness in our life, the more that we are tuned to him so that we can have this relationship with him. And one day in heaven, we'll be free of our sin and we will have uh, this righteousness can restored into our lives, something we can look forward to. So I think there's aspects of who we are and I think there's also aspects of what humans do and what we're called to do. So I think being created in the image of God includes or involves or is because of, this includes a calling for relationships, ruling over creation, and reflecting the glory of God. So I really got into the our words here. We talked about this. I think we're created for relationships, for knowing, for ha- relating first and foremost, with God. We are put here to have connection with him, to to glorify him in our hearts and lives. And therefore, we are equipped to do that in a way that rocks and plants and animals can't do. Okay, your goldfish barely knows that you are there. Okay, much less knows that God is there. And your cat, your dog, you know, as much as they are loyal friends to us in their way, as much as they can... Uh, they don't understand the Lord, and they, they can't understand the Lord, not in the way that we can, but we are created in a way that we can know him, we can appreciate him, we can experience his love in our hearts. And so having that relationship with God, being equipped and built in a way that we can have this is part of what it means to be created in God's image. And it's not just a relationship with God that's the first and most important, but also a relationship with each other. And therefore, we're created to have connections with our family, with our church family, with other people. Because God is a relational being. He created us as relational beings. 
ruling over creation. This is part of what it talks about with uh, dominion. And don't view this in a negative way. It doesn't have to mean exploitation in the negative ways. Uh, but we are to have a stewardship over this world that God has given. Notice what we read. He told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the, over the animals and the rest of the created world. Uh, to be good stewardships of that and to develop this world that we live in. And so this is a huge, I think, part of it. Now, it's real common in Old Testament studies uh, recently to talk about the fact that there um, were kings in different parts of the world back in those days that oftentimes they would take a statue of the king and they would uh, send it to, to the far corners of their different territories. And that was to indicate that, you know, this person here, the image, this is the ruler of these areas, and it kind of the image was a representation of the ruler. And therefore, you can think of it in the sense that God put us on this earth as an image of him to be the ones to say, look, I am the ruler over this world because I put my image and scattered about in this world. Now, I think there's something to that, and I think that it's kind of a good, well, it's an illustration of what God has done and why he has put in this world as rulers. But as I'm looking at that and reading some of these authors that put this, I think we also have to realize that some of these Old Testament scholars are writing with the view that they don't really believe that Genesis was written by Moses. They don't believe it was, these things really happened oftentimes and that instead they believe all these things were written or maybe made up, you know, after the time of the Babylonian captivity, and that whoever wrote these things was just kind of looking around, you know, to the world that they lived in and making up stuff based on what they saw the Babylonians and others doing. And so we need to remember that when God said, He's, let us create man in our image, this was before you had Babylonian kings, this was before you had kings putting statues in different places, uh, that might be something that kind of illustrates what God was doing, but it's not that God was being a copycat of, you know, different Babylonian kings in doing this. But we do see from the text that God right away creates Adam and Eve in his image and tells them to rule and have dominion. There's a mandate he tells us to have of over creation. That's something we'll be talking about more in the coming weeks as well. And I think reflecting the glory of God. We reflect it. We're mirrors of God's glory. And we can reflect it back to him. We can reflect it to other people. Problem is, we are mirrors that are oftentimes covered with a lot of junk and a lot of mud and a lot of film and filth. And how are we reflecting God to the world that we live in? And that's why we need God's work in our hearts and lives. And the more that we grow, the more that we're going to reflect him better. So as you see things that God shows you in your life that are not right, we need to be, with his help, removing those things, cleansing ourselves of this, uh, so that we can reflect him better and better. Finally, I want to talk about what are some of the implications? What does this mean for us every day? Being created in the image of God, this is the ultimate thing, gives dignity and worth to every human being. Dignity and worth. In a way that's different from the animal world, from goldfish, from, from everything else. Being created in God's image sets humans apart from the animals. In 
June of 2016 at the Cincinnati Zoo, there was a three-year-old boy that was heard saying that he wanted to, he wanted to go visit the gorillas. And there were three gorillas that were in this display. There were two females and a male. And some people remember hearing this little kid say, I want to go see the gorillas. And then what happened is that this three-year-old kid uh, was able to climb over a three-foot fence. He crawled through about four uh, feet of bushes. And then he fell about 15 feet into a moat that was below to separate the people from these, these huge gorillas that were there. And maybe some of you remember this when it was on the news. And so this kid fell into this enclosure with these gorillas, and the two, uh, the zookeepers were able to call back the two female gorillas, and they came, uh, but the male gorilla, Harambe, was there and noticed this child, took an interest in this child splashing around, grabbed him, pulled him up, and so now you have this massive gorilla with this young child that is there. And he's kind of dragging him around. You know, people debate, was he being aggressive or just being a gorilla? But the fact was that uh, the kid was being uh, dragged around. And whether intentional or not, I mean, it would just take the slightest pull or, you know, hit or have this kid fall and hit his head on the concrete. This kid could be dead in a second. And so the zookeepers uh, did what they believed they needed to do. And they shot and killed Harambe the, the gorilla. And people went berserk about this. And there were people that were just so upset that this gorilla would be killed in this way. There were internet memes. There was uh, stuff all over the internet. People just just livid about this, that this gorilla uh, would be killed in order to save the life of this child. And of course, there can be different debate as far as what could have been done, what the parents should have been doing, what was going on there. And we get all that. But... I remember the zookeeper that made the decision, the ones that took him down, said they would do it again in a heartbeat. It was the only call. And I think if we look at this from a biblical worldview, it is the only call. As much as we hate to see you know, a majestic creature like this uh, to be you know, taken down, and that there's something tragic on that. We, we get that. But it's a boy. It is a human being. And he is in a completely different category than, than this gorilla. And we see that. We recognize that. And I think by God's common grace, though, most people do recognize and see that. And that as much of a tragedy as it is, if you needed to shoot and take down 20 gorillas to save the life of a boy, you, you do that because there's a categorical difference between this gorilla and a boy. Again, it's not about power. If it's about power, the gorilla is uh, better than the three-year-old. If it's about intelligence, well, you know, the, um, there's a point at least where this boy was maybe less intelligent than the gorilla. But it's not about that. It's about the, this child. This is a human being created in the image of God. So just a whole different level of dignity and worth. We are set apart from the animals. Again, animals, I think they have value. They're more valuable than rocks. They're more valuable than plants and different animals. I think you have a hierarchy there. I think a gorilla is worth more than a worm, okay? But there is a categorical gap between the most developed animal 
and any human being, because human beings are created in the image of God. Being created in the image of God, this means that all human lives are valuable and sacred, specifically because humans are created in the image of God. This is a reason that is given. And we see this in one place in Genesis 9, chapter 6. As we go through Genesis, we're going to see this, the account of Noah and the flood. And afterwards, God gives uh, a covenant with Noah and he gives instructions. And one of the things that is said there, God talks about um, prohibiting uh, murder, humans murdering each other. I mean, it was already a sin, but God lays this down and he gives a penalty for this that's to be enforced. In Genesis 9, 6, the Lord says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, means killing someone, by man shall his blood be shed. So this is saying, if you murder someone, we call this first degree murder, it's saying that the penalty for this is capital punishment. That the penalty is you die because you killed somebody else. But then it gives the reason for this. It says for, which means because, for God made man in his own image. So this is one of the verses where we see that even after the entrance of sin into this world, that humanity is still in the image of God. And we see this is a reason given why it is such a serious thing to murder somebody, to treat an image bearer of God in that way. Uh, Murder at the core is wrong because people are created in God's image. And notice here, there's no qualification saying, well, they should receive this punishment if they killed one of the people that is created in the image of God, as if there are some others that aren't. Just the implication here is that this is all-inclusive, that everyone is created, all human beings, not just some, are created in the image of God. And these are reasons why, as Christians, as people that believe the Bible, that we believe that there are certain things that that are wrong, that ought not to be done to image bearers. Murder, it's why we believe that abortion is wrong, because it is the intentional uh, killing of a unborn image bearer of God. We believe suicide is wrong, that we don't have the right to end our own lives, to do self-murder, because that is still we are created in the image of God. And we can't do that to ourselves either. We're euthanasia, putting somebody down at the end of life. Yeah, we shoot horses. But horses are different than human beings. And other things too, the way we treat each other uh, doesn't have to be taking their life, but if we recognize that all people are created in the image of God, shouldn't that eliminate racism? bullying other people for any type of reason. You know, classism, you know, I'm better than you because I have this zip code or I live in this type of house or drive this kind of car. And people seem to live that way. People in certain states or in certain zip codes are just of more value uh, than these places, the flyover country in the world. Ageism, whether it's the very young or the very old. And how about this? What about sinners? We're all sinners, we get that. But sometimes we think, but they're, they're the okay sinners, but then they're the sinner sinners. Re- keep reminding yourselves that everyone 
is created in the image of God. And so that sinner person, whoever you're thinking of, it's still someone created in the image of God that God wants to redeem, that Jesus Christ came for to give the opportunity for salvation if they'll turn to him. And that there's still value in that person. Not the sin part. Again, that's the corruption. That's the rust. That's the mud. But it's still a person created in God's image. This also means that human beings, our value does not come from our accomplishments. We live in a world that value comes from what we do, what we can accomplish. And we see from Scripture that ultimately it comes from being created in the image of God apart from any accomplishment. You know, this means that one of the arguments that's oftentimes given for why we shouldn't do abortion is not really a great argument. Sometimes people say, you shouldn't have abortion because you could be aborting the next Einstein. Or you could be aborting the person that would have cured cancer. Now, maybe there's truth to that. But realize, if you use that argument, that it's kind of giving the mindset that our value comes from what we do, or at least what we could do. Where biblically, it's not about what we do or even what we have the potential to do. It comes from being created in the image of God. And that's enough for people to have value and worth and to be protected. It doesn't come from our accomplishments. You know, and that should help with our identity too. So many people want to find their identity in the things that they do. I have this accomplishment. I have this title at work. Uh, I have this trophy on the wall. That's not ultimately where our value comes from. I'll tell you this as well. To disrespect the image of the king is to disrespect the king. This means that if we realize that every person is created in the image of God, it should change how we treat each other. You know, if you had an image, a picture of, if someone came up to you with a picture of you and said, hey, look at this, and started like gouging out your eyes in the picture, I think you would be offended by that. Now think of if we treat other people that are the image of God, our King, our Lord, and we treat them with disrespect, really we're disrespecting the one whose image they bear. We're disrespecting the King. That's why James tells us, talking about the tongue, our speech, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We need to treat each other, not just Christians, but everyone with respect. I've told the story before about a boy that went to the art museum in Detroit and stuck his gum on a $1.5 million painting, we need to not be using other people as objects, but treating them as persons, as image bearers. And this means things like abuse, pornography, exploitation. This be all things that we, have, we want to have no part of because treating people as objects, something we just stick our gum on. We should also not be surprised that Satan would attack anything bearing the image of God. Satan is going to attack Adam and Eve from the start. He keeps attacking things made in the image of God. He has a tough time attacking God himself. God is uh, pretty invulnerable to Satan. But the way that he's going to get at God is to create, is to attack those that are created in his image. 
So Satan is anti-human life because Satan is anti-God. So he'll be against humans, he'll be against life and human life, and we should expect that. Victim to attack, to devalue us, to make humans believe that you're just an accident, your life has no meaning, you have no purpose, you're no different than the animals, and maybe you're just a, you're just a tool for other people to use, you have no real meaning, no real purpose, and think of everything that so many things that society tells us. We evolved by chance. You have no real purpose. I think Satan is behind that, devaluing human beings as the image of God. Whereas I tell you from the word of God that you have value, you have purpose, you have meaning. And Christ is the perfect image of God. He's referred to this in many places. One, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Christ who is the image of God. He is the perfect image of God, and we who are, who are united with Christ, we who are saved, born again, are being renewed into his image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about us being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Being created in the image of God means so many things. It should affect us in so many different ways. And let me leave you with this final thought. Being created in the image of God means that you are defined by something outside of yourself. We live in a world that says you have no meaning unless you pick it. Look inside, look in your feelings. And uh, you decide your own meaning. Look inside. Carl Truman has said, we, because of the world that we live in, it's like we are plastic people in a liquid world. And so many people are full of anxiety, that are full of uh, depression, insecurity, because we don't know who we are. And even when we look into the world, we see nothing that is fixed, that is permanent, to find our relationship with. Notice when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't say just, you make your own identity. He said, I'm giving you identity. You are created in my image. And so you are created in the image of God, and he is outside of you. You do not define him. You do not create him. But he defines you and gives you value, gives you dignity, and gives you worth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this truth. Help us to believe it, that each of us are created in your image, that our family members, the people that we love, and also the people that we have the hardest time with are created in your image. And Lord, let us respect and let us love other image bearers because of this, recognizing the dignity and worth that each image bearer has, respecting them because we respect you, the one whose image they bear. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your perfect image, one who was not tarnished by sin and died on the cross that we sinners can be saved and one day restored, transformed into the image of Christ. All praise to you, Lord God, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.